I'm all for resuming our economic activity as long as we have the tools in our tool bag to do it. And that, that we resume our activities based on the best science available. Tonight on the KRBD Evening Report, the economic impacts of COVID-19 and the future of the cruise industry are the top issues for Thursday's Ketchikan City Council meeting. Outhouses are open and campgrounds will reopen soon in Ketchikan's Ward Lake area. And state officials outline mandates for independent commercial fishing boats. Those stories and more coming up. First, here's a look at the local weather. Expect scattered rain showers tonight with lows around 40 degrees, southeast winds to 15 miles per hour. Sunny skies Thursday with highs in the mid-50s, southeast winds to 10 miles per hour. Mostly clear Thursday night, lows around 40 degrees, northeast winds to 10 miles per hour. Sunny and clear Friday with highs in the mid-60s, lows around 50 degrees, light winds becoming north to 10 miles per hour in the evening. Sunny and clear Saturday with highs around 70 degrees, lows around 50 degrees. You're listening to the KRBD Evening Report. I'm your host, Maria Dudzak. Big questions about the state of Ketchikan's economy and the future of the cruise industry top a crowded agenda for Thursday's Ketchikan City Council meeting. Councilmember Mark Flora is set to lead a discussion on the economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. In an email included with the meeting agenda, Flora says business owners have been reaching out to local policymakers in search of guidance to better plan for the summer visitor season if one is to take place at all. Separately, Councilmember Sam Bergeron suggests forming a regional consortium of Southeast Alaska cruise ports to determine a set of criteria that must be met before the cruise season can resume. Bergeron says that could include coronavirus testing requirements for cruise passengers. I'm all for resuming our economic activity as long as we have the tools in our tool bag to do it and that, that we resume our activities based on the best science available. City Manager Carl Amelon writes in a memo that other municipalities he's contacted say they're open to working together on the issue. Meanwhile, Amelon is asking the City Council whether small cruise ships of less than 250 people should be allowed to dock in Ketchikan starting in June. They're not subject to a federal no-sale order that remains in effect for large cruise ships. City officials say ships are unlikely to return while a mandatory 14-day quarantine requirement for out-of-state travelers remains in effect. That mandate is scheduled to be re-evaluated May 19th, and local officials say it's likely to be done away with in the near future as Alaska's economy slowly reopens. Ketchikan City Council meets at 7 p.m. Thursday by teleconference. It can be streamed online at the city's website and is broadcast on local cable channels. Those who would like to speak during public comment can call the clerk's office at 228-5658 prior to the meeting. Written comments can be emailed to the clerk's office. We have all that info on our website, krbd.org. Three federal campgrounds in the Ketchikan area will reopen May 21st after being closed as a precaution against the spread of the coronavirus. The U.S. Forest Service announced May 6th that Signal Creek, Last Chance, and the Three Seas campgrounds will be open for the spring schedule after being shut down March 31st. According to a statement, 
the temporary order was lifted after receiving adequate cleaning supplies and personal protective equipment for Forest Service staff. The outhouses at the Ward Lake day-use area and campgrounds were closed on March 20th and have since reopened. Visitors are asked to continue to follow social distancing guidelines by maintaining at least six feet away from people outside their immediate household while recreating or camping. State officials last week explained the details of a health mandate for commercial fishing vessels and crews and the steps that will be taken this year to prevent the spread of COVID-19. The state's health mandate 17 took effect April 24th. It outlines required protective measures like screening, quarantine after travel, and documentation required for fishing boats. Hundreds tuned in last Wednesday to a free webinar on the mandate organized by industry group United Fishermen of Alaska and sponsored by processing company Icicle Seafoods. UFA Executive Director Francis Leach started off the webinar. I know that there's a lot of frustration and confusion with this mandate. However, please keep in mind that this mandate was at the request of the industry. We recognized that if we wanted to have a successful commercial fisheries this summer, we needed to have procedures in place to operate safely and assure communities that the industry is doing everything that we can to keep them safe. The mandate requires fishing boats to carry a form acknowledging they're operating this year under a safety plan for crew and communities. The plan is outlined in an appendix to Mandate 17. Boats can also operate under a fleet-wide safety plan filed by a processing company. That paperwork is required when a vessel offloads its catch to a processor or tender. This latest mandate means independent commercial fishing vessels don't have to submit community or workforce protective plans for out-of-state workers outlined in prior mandates but boats do have to follow required quarantine, face coverings during travel, and other steps for their crews. There are also recommended practices for documenting safety measures. Tom Koloski is branch director of the Critical Infrastructure Branch for the Alaska Unified Command. The fisheries are identified as a critical uh, uh, part of the Alaska economy. You are all considered critical infrastructure workers. That does not completely exempt you from the requirement to self-quarantine upon arriving to the state. And that's a misconception I would like to clear up now. You are still required to self-quarantine upon arriving to the state. Crew members can get on board and start fishing during that two-week quarantine if they follow restrictions for contact with other crew or community members. That includes wearing a face covering while in transit from out of state, Crew has to be screened with a series of questions and temperature checks. Boats have to fly a yellow and black flag if any crew members are still under quarantine. Koloski clarified that no quarantine is required for traveling between communities within Alaska, only for arriving from out of state. He also noted that a new incoming crew member who can't be kept separate from the rest of the boat restarts the 14-day quarantine period for the entire crew. We understand isolation for a lot of smaller vessels is just not going to be possible. You're not going to have a dedicated uh, uh, cabin you're going to be able to put them in. You're not going to have dedicated head facilities. You know, And so, again, it, it's very important. If you cannot isolate that individual, you need to be monitoring and looking at quarantine for the entire crew. Vessels with a crew member potentially ill with COVID-19 have to notify the U.S. Coast Guard. 
Koloski urged skippers to get an ill crew member to medical care as soon as possible. He also told fishermen the state would be relying on voluntary compliance. There is no additional manpower that's going to be going around. We're not going to be sending the National Guard around to be boarding vessels and checking uh, checking paperwork. I want to reiterate, you know, some of the things that the, the governor has stated in his press conferences. We've got where we are today by trusting Alaskans to do the right thing. We're going to keep doing that with these mandates. We're going to ask you to do that amongst your crew. We're going to ask you to do that amongst your fellow vessel captains. The state is still working on required protective measures for skiff-based fishing like set netting. State Mandate 17 also allows local boatyards and harbors to enact other measures to keep the incoming workforce away from others. UFA has posted the entire webinar on its website. Organizers canceled the 52nd annual Southeast Alaska State Fair last week as a precaution against the spread of COVID-19. As Claire Strempel reports, it's the latest and largest local cancellation. It's the Live Free or Pie Hard themed Southeast Alaska State Fair that wasn't. Board members and staff decided that hosting the town's biggest event in a time of social distancing and pandemic concerns would be irresponsible. The multi-day celebration of exhibits, musical performance, games, and cuisine is rescheduled for next year. Fair director Carrie Johnson said the organization saw the writing on the wall a couple of weeks ago. You know, when we finally pulled the trigger today, I think all of us were a little bit more emotional than I think we thought we were going to be. Um, you know, it's a hard decision because it's, you know, it, obviously it's our job, but the other piece is it is a big community event. She said another thing that caught her off guard was the outpouring of community support following their announcement. Emails and calls to express gratitude and solidarity. Instead of ticked-off customers, Johnson said they've had community members investing in the fair's future. You know, I, I cannot express how great it feels to see memberships pouring in. And I wouldn't say pouring in, but you were getting memberships, and we were actually a little concerned that we weren't going to get any this year. And we've gotten some over the last week and then even more today. And um, um, for me, that's really great to see, and it just shows, you know, how much the fair has meant to a lot of people over the years. Nonetheless, the cancellation of the fair and beer fest has upended the organization's financial plans. Two year-round employees were laid off, summer staff will not be hired. Johnson will stay on at reduced hours to manage Dalton City with the help of one part-time maintenance worker. Nearly 50 vendors and 10 entertainers will cancel their trips. Thousands of ticket holders will stay home. Usually, the fair weekend is a boon for local stores, restaurants, bars, and tasting rooms. Nonprofits like the Uglies and the Hospice raise money. Hotels and bed and breakfasts typically fill their rooms. I mean, special events have become a, a huge part of the Haines economy. And of all the special events in the summer, the fair is definitely the largest. Haines Economic Development Corporation Executive Director Margaret Friedenauer said it's hard to say exactly how much money is spent in Haines during the fair, but it's not impossible to approximate. A recent economic study estimates that the average overnight visitor spends a little more than $100 a day in Haines. You know, there's there's about 11,500 admittances over the four days, and that breaks down to uh, five to 6,000 individual people, 
which is of course uh, more than just right about double our population. <laughs> so it doubles the town for about four days in the summer. Even if only 3,000 of those fairgoers are from out of town, that's about $1.2 million in spending and roughly $100,000 in sales tax over the weekend. And that doesn't include what locals spend. Canceling an event of this size is itself a huge job. Johnson is still fielding calls for the organization from home. She's signing up new fair memberships for an event that the new members know won't happen. They aren't just donations. They're investments in the 52nd Annual Southeast Alaska State Fair, which is scheduled to take place in its 53rd year. Reporting in Haines, I'm Claire Strempel. After a winter's hibernation, bears are awake and hungry. Some, however, already are getting their meals fresh from garbage cans. Roy Churchwell, area biologist for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, says in Juneau they've gotten reports of bears getting into garbage in Douglas, out North Douglas Highway, and near Thunder Mountain. Seems like a pretty normal year, especially since we had so much snow. We might have expected that they would be a little later, but if it was, it might have been just like a week later than what you might consider to be normal. It's suggested that garbage cans not be put out on the curb before 4 a.m. on pickup day. Otherwise, garbage should be kept in a garage or secure bear-proof container. If you have a leftover meal or garbage that may be particularly stinky and attractive to bears, Churchwell suggests sticking it in the freezer until pickup day. He also recommends removing any bear attractants from your yard. So bird feeders should be put away this time of year. And if you have chickens or uh, any kind of livestock that you're worried about, it's time to get the electric fence set up so that the bears can't get into them. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game has electric fences you can borrow for a few weeks until you can build your own. That's all for the KRBD Evening Report. I've been your host, Maria Dudzak.